You are listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, the Daily Missouri. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about the church, you can reach us at www.bethelassembly.info. We're taking the time to revisit, to recast a vision, to rediscover who we are as a church, what moves us forward as a church. We spent a Sunday night several years ago, six years ago, in fact, on a, in September, on a Sunday evening, we sat in this section here, and a small group of people from the church, about 60 or so of us, sat together. We began to process what do we believe, what do we stand for, what is the church all about. And in and through that night, we truly came to the conclusion of what we stood for, where we're heading, and what are the unshakables that we believe are paramount for the church to exist. We discovered our mission. Do you remember what that was? I shared it with you last week. It's to love, reach, and empower people of all cultures for Jesus Christ. That means it's not just about our four and no more. How many of you know the moment the church begins to focus only on their four and no more is the moment the church begins to die? Let me say that again. The moment that the church focuses in on our four and no more is the moment that the church begins to die. We are called, according to the Bible, to go into all the world, to share the good news with everyone everywhere. That includes here in the building, that includes outside of these walls, and that includes around the world. And by the way, I want to give a shout out to a lady that's going to be listening to the message this week. Her name is Adori. Adori, I met her just a couple of days ago. I was at the fireworks stand uh, peddling or selling or whatever you want to call fireworks. And as I was out there, these two ladies came in. I began to have a conversation with them and began to process. I invited them to church and talked to them about church. And one of the ladies said that she doesn't go to church anywhere. And in the course of the conversation, she stopped. She pointed at my shirt, which said, love all, reach all, empower all, Bethel Assembly Sedalia. And in the midst of the conversation, I hadn't told her what church we were from yet. We hadn't got to that point. But she stopped, she pointed at my church, and she, or my shirt, and she said this, I listen to your CDs every Sunday. In fact, I listen to them twice every week. And I was like, you what? She's like, a guy from your church brings me a CD every week of your Sunday morning message, and I listen to your sermons every single week. Isn't that cool? That is super awesome. So I told her I was going to give her a shout out this morning. So Adori, we are talking about you. We love you. We're so glad that you were listening with us. She works on Sunday morning, so she's not able to be here, but I've invited her. And Jim, man, you're a superhero, dude. Thank you so much. I know you don't like any attention, but you need a shout out. Thank you for for loving on people. Thank you for loving Adori, and thank you for just sharing the love of Christ. That is awesome, guys. That is absolutely incredible. That's what love, reach, and empower is all about. It's reaching beyond what is norm. It's it's reaching beyond just what's comfortable. But it's passing out the CDs. You see, I see Jim every Sunday, and he's he's picking up the CDs back at the sound booth, and I didn't know what he was doing with them. I thought maybe he just wanted to listen again and again and again because he loves my beautiful voice. (laughs) I didn't realize that he was sharing this with a dory. And because of that, Adori is hearing the message of Jesus every single Sunday. Everything we do as a church must fall in line with this mission, to love, reach, and empower people of all cultures for Jesus Christ. 
If it doesn't fall in line with our mission, guess what? We need to stop doing it. Because it's not what we believe. It's not what we stand for. So everything we do has to fall in line with love, reach, and empower. Now, our mission statement tells us who we are currently, but it's not enough to know who you are currently. You've got to know where you're going. Yes? If I want to talk to Siri and tell her where I want to go, I've got to give her an end destination. You see, she already knows where I am. She's listening to everything you do. You don't believe that. I was at the fireworks stand yesterday, and we're talking about our missionaries uh, in Honduras, and we're having a conversation, uh, myself and one of the other guys from the church, and they said, I don't know if the husband is back in Honduras yet. I opened up Facebook in that moment, right then and there, and guess what the first post that I saw? It was our missionary on the airplane going, I just landed in Honduras. And I'm like, Siri, you are creepy. So she already knows where you are. In order to get to a destination, I've got to tell her where I want to go. The same thing happens in our walk with Christ. We can know where we are, but we've got to know where we're going. So we need a vision statement. To become a Christ-centered family. Look at that word become. That means we're not there yet. We're processing. Become a Christ-centered family, devoting ourselves to loving one another, honoring our Lord, and reaching the lost, all while making a positive impact. Look at your neighbor. Say, it's got to be positive. Positive impact for Christ in our community. We talked about these things last week in great detail. We dissected our vision statement, but I want to encourage you, if you missed last Sunday, go back and listen to the message. You can find it on Facebook. You can grab the CD. Talk to Jim. He probably has an extra one. (laughs) Go to the website. Just check it out. You need to know what it is we stand for. What do the different sections of our vision really mean? But today, I want to take just a moment. I want to really process through the very first of our seven core values. You see, core values are the the non-negotiables of the church. They're the things that, that don't change. Once we have the core value, it's, it's who we are. It's what we believe in. It's, it's what really drives the organization. I want to look at our very first core value, and it is this. We value prayer. We believe in prayer. That's why it's number one. It's got to be the very foundation of all we do. If we forget anything else, if you miss any of the other core values, if you forget the mission statement, if you forget the vision statement, if you don't have a clue on anything else that we do, just remember this. We value prayer. Why? Why do we value prayer? Well, first off, because Jesus himself made this statement. My house shall be called a house of prayer. My house should be called a house of prayer. What is his house? The church. The church. God's house. Who, what, what is the church? Is it this building? Eh, not really. This is kind of, we call it the church, but really, we are the church. We are to be a house of prayer. Jesus saw the importance of prayer. In fact, so much did he see it as important. He demonstrated over and over to his disciples to the point that in one occasion they looked at him and they said this, Rabbi, would you teach us how to pray? 
They could have said, would you teach us how to raise the dead? Because what you just did with Lazarus, that was amazing. Right? Would you teach us how to open up blinded eyes? Because what you did with blind Bartimaeus, man, that was cool. Would you teach us how to heal the lame? Would you teach us how to to speak into the broken? They could have said any of these things. That would have been amazing. But they said, Rabbi, teach us how to pray. Why? Because they understood that prayer was the foundation of all that happens. Without prayer, there is no hope. Without prayer, there is no miracle. Prayer is the foundation. Jesus calls us to be a church individually and corporately to be people of prayer. Secondly, prayer is the foundation of the church to be successful in its mission. We can have the best youth. We can have the best children's program. We can have the best worship team. We can have solid messages. We have the best activities going on. But if we don't have prayer, we've missed the mark. We've just become a social club. Listen carefully. If all we do is come together and meet together and hang out together and fill up a room, all we're doing is having a social gathering. None of this happens without prayer. Nothing successful, nothing beneficial, long-lasting happens without prayer. We believe in prayer so much that we dedicate one particular service every single week to prayer. Our Wednesday night service, if you've missed it, man, you need to be here. I love Wednesday nights. I love coming together and just worshiping together, just seeking after God, letting God speak into our lives and and overflow in us. The presence of God in this place on Wednesday night is absolutely incredible. We believe in prayer. The core of anything worthwhile in the church is founded upon prayer. See, when we pray, listen to this, there's a life change that begins. Prayer changes me. Prayer changes you. Prayer impacts the atmosphere in which you live. We see this take place over and over in the Bible. I would venture to say this. Spiritual defeats and spiritual victories are in direct proportion to our prayer life. Well, pastor, I just don't know. I, I can't seem to get past this struggle in my life. What's your prayer life like? I can't seem to get past this problem in my household. What's your prayer life like? I can't seem to get past this situation. What's your prayer life like? Spiritual defeats and spiritual victories, I believe, are in direct proportion to our prayer life. We as a church, Bethel Assembly, which by the way means house of God, my house shall be called a house of prayer, Bethel Assembly, we don't just talk about prayer, we believe in prayer. It's amazing that one of the most prominent teachings in the Bible is that God calls us to live a life of prayer because He wants us to have a close relationship with Him. He wants us to know more about Him. And likewise, He wants to speak directly into our lives. I find an interesting scripture in 1 Thessalonians. 
It says this, always be joyful. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got to be joyful all the time. (laughs) That seems impossible, doesn't it? Because there are those times when you're in a hurry and you're driving down the back roads because you know the back roads you can go faster. And you get that person that takes the back roads because they can go slower. They don't realize that the back roads in the United States are actually the Autobahn of the U.S. Come on, you guys are with me on that, right? And you're going down that road, and you know that you need to get to your destination, so you're taking the back road, and my kids hopefully aren't listening right now, and you're going down that back road, and that person pulls out right, I mean, just two seconds earlier, if you would not have paused at the mailbox, you would have beat them. But instead, you're stuck behind them. And you're reminded of the scripture that says, always be joyful. He goes on to say this, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. How in the world can we always be joyful? How can we be thankful in all circumstances? Because right in the middle of all of this, we have a prayer sandwich. Always be joyful, be thankful in all circumstances, and right in the middle of the circumstances of your life, right in the middle of those moments of frustration in your life, it says never stop praying. Live a life of prayer. Have a heart of prayer. That's why the enemy of your life, that's why Satan will do everything he can to distract you and to keep you from praying. He'll use your circumstances. He'll use your job. He'll even use your relationships to distract you, to get your focus off of prayer, because he knows that prayer changes not only your circumstance, but the atmosphere around you. Prayer will transform a church. Prayer will reignite a vision. Several years ago, there was a great revival in the southeast corner of the United States. Churches from all over the world were literally driving and flying to this revival in hopes to to bring just a piece of that revival back to the church. And they would come back to their church and they would try to mimic what was happening. Some of you were around the AG circle at that time. You experienced that. The problem that I saw with that behavior was this. That revival was birthed out of prayer. Revival in a mighty move of God isn't like going to the drive-thru at McDonald's and asking for a hot fudge sundae with a few nuts on top. The problem, well, the problem, you know where I'm going, don't you? Sometimes we just ended up with the nuts on top. That's all I'm saying. By the way, that wasn't in my notes. That must have been the Holy Spirit. Or the Frappuccino, one of the two. Always be joyful. Be thankful in all circumstances. Only accomplished 
the move of God is only accomplished. The transformation of your situation is only accomplished. The breakthrough in your problems is only accomplished. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is only accomplished. The, the revival pouring of God is only accomplished. If you never stop praying, seek the kingdom of God. Look forward to Him. Draw close to Him. Rely upon Him. Lean upon Him. What we're talking about here is a lifestyle of prayer. Not, Lord, bless this food. Lord, I give you my all. Again, Jesus said that we are to be a house of prayer individually and corporately. We are to be a people of prayer. And here's one thing I've discovered regarding prayer. It takes faith. Anybody else ever experienced that? A lifestyle of prayer requires faith, and and faith is defined according to Hebrews 11 as this. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. That what we're longing for, that what we're desiring, that what we need, that what we really are pressing in for will actually happen. It gives us an assurance about what we can't see. Man, we Missourians, we have a hard time with that. We're the show-me state. There's proof in the pudding. We want to see what's happening. We want to know. We want to see the substance. But faith is, it's that hope of things we can't yet see. Many times throughout the Bible, when Jesus is performing miracles, he he makes a very profound statement to that which he is talking with. He says this, because of your faith, so shall it be. According to your faith, you will receive. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you believe? Do you have faith? Do you believe that God can meet your need no matter how big or how small it may be? Do you believe that God can restore your family? Do you believe that God can heal your mom, your dad, yourself, your child? Do you believe that God can reform? Do you believe that God can deliver? Do you believe that God can restore? Because of your faith, so shall it be. So what is faith? Is faith simply believing that God can do something? Is that faith? No, I don't believe that that faith is that God can. That's simply facts. There's nothing that's impossible for God. There's nothing out of his reach. My God can do all things. My God will supply all of your needs by your stripes. By his stripes you are healed. That's simply fact. God can do it. That's not faith. That's fact. Is faith believing that God might do it? Is that faith? God, will you? Can you? Is faith believing God might? No, that's hope. I really hope he does. But faith is believing that God will. It's a belief of things that, that I hope for but I haven't yet seen. It's an assurance that, that what I'm longing for will actually come to fruition. You see, faith moves us from the impossible to the possible. Oh, see, that should have made a Pentecostal person shout. Because some of you right now are over here in the impossible. 
Some of you walked in here this morning, you've got a really good Sunday morning church face. Oh, praise God. Right? You're sitting right now in the impossible. You got that call from the doctor just this week. You had this conversation with your spouse just this week. You're facing that addiction just this week. You're hanging out in the impossible, and you don't know where to turn. You don't know how to get out of that. But faith, the assurance of what we hope for will actually come to fruition. Faith, when applied to your situation, will move you from this place of impossible into the presence of God where all things are possible. I challenge you today, become a person of prayer. Become a person that reaches into the impossible and allows God to make it possible. But let me ask this, does God always answer the way we expect him to? No. See, God is not a genie in the bottle. It's not, it's not rub the Bible three times and watch him come out and grant you a wish. But God is a loving God. He sees you right in the midst of your need. And he meets that need. According to what he sees best. See, God answers our prayers in one of three ways. Sometimes he says yes. There's a story that many of you in the room would know. And anytime that I'm thinking about this place of yes and what God does, I, I think back to this miracle. A woman has an issue of blood. She's had this issue for some time, and she's been to numerous doctors. She's broke at this point. The doctors have given her no hope. She's an outcast. She's been marked by society as unclean, and nobody wants her around. So in this moment, she hears about this man by the name of Jesus, and, and she hears that he performs miracles, and she thinks for a moment, the doctors can't meet my need. I'm out of money. There's nothing else I can do. The Bible says in verse 27 of Mark 5, it says, she heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. Faith. She had faith that just touching the hem of his garments would change her entire situation. Society had cast her out. The doctors have said there's no hope. She's sitting in the impossible. But she hears about this man named Jesus. And she thinks, if I can just squeeze through the crowd unnoticed, if I can just get up behind him and reach out and just touch his garment, I don't even need to talk to him. But just touch his garments. I'll be healed. Verse 29 says, immediately, and when she touched his garment, immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel her body, in her body, that she had been healed of her terrible condition, moved from the impossible to the, to the possible just by the presence of God. She realized at once that healing power had gone out of him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched me? Now look at this. The disciples said to him, look at this crowd. They're pressing up against you. How can you ask who touched me? 
But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him. He says this, daughter, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has brought you from the impossible to the possible. Sometimes when you cry out to God, he answers yes. But then there are other times that he says, you got to wait. Anybody like to wait? I hate to wait. I don't like to wait for anything. I'm that guy at Walmart that I'm in a line, and this line over here starts moving faster, so I go to this line. Well, suddenly that one goes slower, so I jump back to this line. (sighs) Waiting is hard, but sometimes when we cry out to God, he says, wait, let me show you what happens here. Let me move about four verses prior to this miracle of this woman with the issue of blood. It says, Jesus got out of the boat again and went to the, um, back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him. Then a leader of the synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying. He's at the place of the impossible. My daughter, a baby girl, She's dying. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Can you sense the desperation in this local synagogue leader's heart? My little girl, baby, she's dying. If you'll just come and and put your hands upon her, she'll live. Jesus went with him and All the people followed, crowding around him. So they're on their journey to see Jairus' daughter. And then suddenly, this woman, this outcast, steps in, distracts everything. And in verse 35, it says, While he was speaking to her, to the woman, when Jesus was speaking to the woman, he said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. A messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, Your daughter is dead. There's no need to trouble the teacher anymore. It's as if suddenly there was a conversation in the heavenlies that said, just wait. Just hold on. He goes on to say this. But Jesus overheard him and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have Let me speed forward through just a little bit. It goes on. Jesus goes. There's also the weeping and wailing. He's crying out. He's praying. He tells a little girl, get up. Little girl gets up and she's made well. Why did Jairus have to wait? Why couldn't Jesus had, had done the same thing with Jairus that he did with the woman with the issue of blood? When Jairus simply walked up and said, would you come to my house and heal my daughter? Jesus could have said, no need, she's healed, done. He could have done that. 
But instead, in that moment, Jairus had to go to this place of waiting. In the midst of this, he had a choice to make. Who would I believe? The messenger? Who says, your daughter's dead? Or Jesus? Let me ask you this question today. Who's the messenger in your life? In the midst of your impossible situation, in the midst of your struggle and hurt, in the midst of the relational issues, in the midst of the addiction, in the midst of the physical ailments, who's the messenger in your life? Jairus had a choice to make. Do I believe my servant that showed up and said, don't bother Jesus anymore, your daughter's dead, or do I believe Jesus who says, just have faith? Which is it going to be? I believe Jairus needed to wait in order for the miracle to occur. Why? I don't necessarily know. But there's a reason. See, Jesus does everything with purpose. There's always a reason behind what he does. Maybe you're at that waiting stage right now. Allow this to be a time of of your faith rising and your faith building. Maybe Jairus needed to see this other miracle in order for his faith to be lifted to where it needed to be. Who's the messenger in your life? See, sometimes God says yes. Sometimes he says wait. And sometimes he simply says no. I'm reminded of a time when Paul has a conversation with God. Second Corinthians says this, I was given, Paul is writing here, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord, take it away. It doesn't say three times I simply prayed, three times I asked, but three times I begged the Lord, just take this away. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. I can't deal with it anymore. But each time, he said this, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. I find it interesting that God didn't just look at Paul and go, "Uh uh-uh. No. I'm not going to heal you. I'm not going to take care of this thorn in your flesh. I'm not going to remove this problem in your life. But see, when God says no, he denies with love. Sometimes he says no because he's not limited by yesterday or today's thinking. He sees what's best for your life. He sees your tomorrow. He sees what you're soon going to face. But this is something I want you to understand. The purpose of prayer isn't just to get answers to prayer. We as a church, we don't value prayer because we get answers to prayer. That's not why we have prayer time. That's not why we come together and pray. But prayer is God's chosen method of meeting our want and every need. It's our avenue to connect with God, a loving, personal, relational God. However, 
does your faith in God result from Him answering your request? Think about that. Does your faith in God does it result only because He answers your request? See, faith in God is never dependent upon God answering our needs. It should simply depend upon the fact that He is God. Our faith in Him, our belief in Him, our trust in Him is founded upon the fact that He alone is the one, the only God. Now don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. He wants to meet your need. But He wants them to be focused around Him not what he can do. Do you want God more than your healing? Do you desire God more than your victory? Do you want him more than the breakthrough? Are you longing for him more than anything else? The best example I can find about this is the early church. And if you're reading in the New Testament, you begin to watch what's happening, man. You're breakthrough after breakthrough. If we were able to Skype into somebody from the early church and have a conversation with them today, you would ask them a question. You'd say, hey, how are things going? They would probably answer this way. Well, everything is going as usual. One miracle after another. One breakthrough after another. We are happy. We are joyful. We're contagious. We're enthusiastic. But was that because everything was perfect? No. Man, they're facing persecution. Any moment somebody could bust in the door and drag you out and throw you in jail. They'd stone you. They'd beat you. They'd crucify you. They didn't care. The early church was passionate about the things of God. But we ask ourselves questions like this. Well, Well, why don't we see miracles like they did in the early church? I mean, why don't we see the blinded eyes open? Why don't we see the dead rising from the grave? Why don't we see all of these miracles? And I guess I would have to to ask this. Are we praying like the early church? Do we have faith like they did in the early church? Are we truly dependent upon God like they were in the early church? The book of James says, you have not because you ask not. Are you ready today to make prayer a lifestyle? See, God wants to bless your life. God wants to bless this church. But we must be a people of prayer. Look at James chapter 1. But when you ask him, be sure that you really expect him to answer. Can I be honest with you for a moment? There have been times, and I say this because I'm human, there have been times when someone will come up for prayer and they've got a big need. And I begin to pray. And I get done praying with them and God says, ask them if they're better. I'm afraid to ask them. Because what happens if they say No. Right? I'm just being real. 
Bible says don't doubt. But it's in that moment I'm like, okay, God, I'm trusting you on this. Here we go. God, let's move forward with this. And I'll ask him, you feeling better? No, it still hurts. Let's pray again. Let's do this again. Let's keep pressing in. Because God promises to meet our needs. Don't doubt. Really expect him to answer. For a doubtful mind is unsettled as the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Expect God to move. Matthew chapter 9, according to your faith, let it be. We must understand, what we must understand is this. Prayer is our spiritual support system. Jesus understood that. The disciples understood that. The early church understood that. My question is this. Do we believe it? Do we believe that prayer is our support system? Some of you here today, you have a personal need in your life. You're sitting in the impossible. You're looking at your marriage. It doesn't look hopeful. You're looking at your physical body and it seems impossible. Looking at that addiction in your life. That I fought with this for 30 years now. It's impossible. Some of you are sitting in that place today and there seems to be no hope. Your finances are in disarray and it seems impossible. Maybe you're lacking something in your life right now. And I ask you, do you have faith that God can meet that need? Why do we value prayer? Because through prayer, God moves in our lives individually. Prayer is the foundation of all that we say and all that we do as a church, as Bethel Assembly. Without prayer, we're just attempting the impossible all by ourselves. That's why we need prayer. You're here today, and you're tired of being in the impossible. You want to give it to God and watch Him make the change. Would you bow your heads with me today?